Hey, fiends of the pod, Nate Wyckoff, your host here again, reminding you like, subscribe, and yes, it is hard to come up with these extra little special things for every episode, but like my good friend behind me, Godzilla, I will not stop until every single building in a metropolitan area is destroyed, if you don't like and subscribe. Enjoy, and please go to cultandclassicfilms.com to pick up exclusive cult movies, and also you can subscribe and have them delivered at a discount to your door every single month. Enjoy the show. Welcome, friends and fiends of Colton Classic Films podcast. I am your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff, as always. And I wanted to introduce this special revisiting of episode 23 of the podcast, Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Rift Tracks comedians, uh, Mary Jo Peel and Bridget Nelson came on to talk to um, murdering spouses uh, films with us. The more mainstream So I Married an Axe Murder from 1993 with Mike Myers. And then The Positively True Adventures of a Texas Cheerleader Murdering Mom, also from 1993. And it is a, again... It is my favorite episode. It's just absolutely wonderful. And having these two amazing women, hilarious, creative, smart women um, that I was first introduced to, I think many of us were on Mystery Science Theater 3000. And then they've continued to work together on Rift Tracks. Mary Jo Peel has uh, a, a web series uh, that airs on Twitch the fourth Tuesday of every month called uh, The Mary Jo Peel Show. You can check it out on dumb-industries.com slash the Mary Jo Peel show. Um, I wanted to revisit this episode specifically because Mary Jo Peel's new memoir has come out called Dumb, 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 My Mother's Book Reviews uh, by Mary Jo Peel. It is super awesome, super exciting. Uh, you can check it out at dumb-industries.com slash store slash the dash Mary dash Joe dash Peel dash show slash books. Of course, you can find it just by going to dumb-industries.com. So check it out. It is wonderful. There is an audio version coming soon as well, if you prefer that. I personally uh, have the book, and I am also going to get the audio version because I like doing both. Uh, it's just wonderful for all those in-between times when I can't read, such when I'm traveling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So please um, give it up for these two amazing contributors. It was such a wonderful, nice, kind thing that they came on the pod, especially so early in the podcast um, history. So please enjoy and go check out Mary Jo Peel's book, Dumb, 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 My Mother's Book Reviews. Welcome to Compton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to another episode of Cult and Classic Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian for HorrorNews.net. I am super excited for this very special episode of Cult and Classic Podcast, because our two guest panels today are Mary Jo Pell and Bridget Nelson from Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Rift Tracks. How are you guys doing? Good. Very good. Hello. This is uh, a perfect time to say that if you join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast, you get to see their lovely faces and my haggard backdrop. So we have an awesome lineup of two movies to talk about today. We've got uh, a theme going here, which is relationships are murder. Although I don't think anybody is actually murdered in either of these two movies on screen. So we will get right to it. The first one is 1993's So I Married an Axe Murder with Mike Myers. Uh, we pair it with yeah. <laughs> we pair it with the positively true adventures of an alleged Texas cheerleader killing mom. That is 
the longest title I have found uh, next to a couple of Czech films that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. And, uh, but first, we're going to get right to it with So I Married an Axe Murder. I think a lot of our listeners uh, have seen this film. And this film's from 1993. It is Mike Myers' medium successful venture right after Wayne's World. And uh, it is, it is, we'll talk about it. Um, I'm going to go into the plot real quick for those who haven't seen it. As always, there are spoilers in this podcast. If you're interested in seeing the movie, I don't think spoilers ruin it. Um, especially after you hear what we have to say one way or the other. Well, and especially 30 years later. I mean, yeah, come on. sorry, come on. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, it's not, both these films are from 1993. So if you, you know, it's out of the theater, you missed your chance. Um, <laughs> this one, this one, the plot is, is that Mike Myers, there's a lot to unpack here. So I'll do the best I can. Mike Myers is a beat poet in 90s San Francisco who uh, somehow meets wonderful women and then breaks it off with them because he thinks something is wrong with them. He's basically a commitment phobe, if that is really a thing. And, uh, and he ends up falling for this woman who uh, he's like, you know what, I'm gonna take the plunge, I'm gonna do it, we're gonna get married. And then he becomes convinced that she is actually an ax murderer who's killed three previous husbands. Uh, and, uh, that's pretty much the plot. And if you think that you're going to hear Mike Myers do like his um, evil voice or um, anything that he did 10 times in Cat in the Hat years later, you're right. He does all those things <laughs> and you will totally hear it. So I had actually never seen this movie. I guess I'm in the minority. Um, Mary Jo, you said you hadn't seen it either. Bridget, Correct. have you seen this movie? I have not. I mean, I watched it now because I have to. Thank God. It was contractually obligated at that time. It was point. an assignment by Teacher <laughs> Nate. Teacher Nate, that's right. I teacher copied Nate. Mary Jo's watching of it. <laughs> There's a lot. I think most of our panelists on Golden Classic Podcast at one point in time wish they had that card they could raise, be like, uh, I, I'm going to cash this in and take right. so-and-so's notes. So going into it, uh, Mary Jo, what was your expectation with this movie? Uh, I, I expected, honestly, I expected it would be, um, uh, tedious. Uh, I'm not, can I just jump in? Should I just jump in? Because I'm not a Mike Myers fan. I never saw what the thing was about him. I, I think, I think I saw the, um, the, I, one of the Austin Powers movies years ago and, uh, it was amusing in parts, but I just never, I, I just never grooved to him. So I thought it would be tedious. And I, I think it was, I felt like it was just a platform for him. Like a lot of those SNL actors, they just get a platform and to do there's a lot their, of them in this movie in cameos as well. Yeah. And there's just a lot of, it's just a platform for him to do his shtick. And I didn't find him um, very appealing or sympathetic. And I think what I took away from, from the movie is that he is, he's paranoid. He's commitment phobe and he's paranoid. Like all the women that he's ever been with, there's something about them that he's paranoid specifically about. And then this one is sort of the apex. That was my understanding. I think there's a lot in there that is true. And also for those who've seen this movie and don't really know any backstory, there's a lot of rumors and backstory going on with um, tension between the director and screen, original screenwriter, credited screenwriter, and Mike Myers uh, on this project. And uh, 
I don't know that Mike Myers has really weighed in on this, but everyone else has. So we'll get to that. Um, Bridget, what did you think going into this movie and what was your outcome experience? Well, I'm going to just step right up to the ladies' tee and um, swing. <laughs> What's the deal with his Operation Man haircut? His I was going to say that too. I was going to say, Mary Jo, his, his appeal must not be his haircut in this. Well, I mean, at, at, there, there are angles where I thought it was a wig because yeah. you, you don't see a, um, a scalp exactly. Yeah, it's but like it, a side parted Prince Valiant. Like, I it, don't. Yeah. yeah. And when he is, when you saw his bare butt, is when I went, oh my God, he's the operation guy with that haircut. <laughs> that is totally <laughs> true. White, and fishy body, and <laughs> disgusting. So I guess that there's a scene, I guess the, that scene, he drops his towel and you see his butt, and it's supposed to be comedic. And I mean, I commend it for having only nudity in, in the male, you know. I was just thinking that, yeah. Which is, yeah, which yeah, is a nice. That's true. Um, and, but. I guess they filmed it twice, once with a long towel um, for airline flights, because apparently that was still a concern. Um, and so there's actually those two copies of the movie floating around. And uh, I, I honestly, the only reason I knew that is because when I was digging on this film, I found uh, a thread, I don't think it was Reddit, but it was some horrible thread site, no offense Reddit, that uh, people were mad, like, where's the green towel scene? which is apparently the long towel that he had. And they're like, well, it's not in the theater cut of the movie. That's oh when it covered his God. butt. And I guess somebody was upset about that. Um, oh somebody, somebody would be. Now right. that you hear about everybody's grievances. Does someone yeah, make yeah. A, like a TikTok video of crying of it? <laughs> the, the, green. the green towel. I, you can't see behind me, but it's a wall of green towel effigies. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, I, I was the poster. I took uh, a lot of notes on this movie, but that was my big, my main takeaway was this haircut annoyed me so much. Well, so I'll commend Mike Myers on this. I had no, I don't mind Mike Myers. I had no real preference one way or the other. I was not a particularly big Austin Powers fan um, in general, but it, it just, I just thought of him as uh, fr one of the SNL cast gone right. by. But I did appreciate his, portrayal of his dad Stuart in this movie his, his main character's dad but here's the thing it is so over the top but all I could think of was how come his dad has way better hair than he does because <laughs> his dad has this great like silver gray swoop and I'm like I would love if my hair would do that and and then they gave Mike Myers who's supposed to be the cool hip younger guy who's an age in this movie between 25 and 46 I don't know um but yeah, I was like, and I guess he went over three hours of prosthetics and makeup to look like that character. And I'm like, well, well just put some baby powder on your head <laughs> and like, you're, it's great. You put a couple lines. Like it was so, all that to do your favorite impression. Right. right. And that's what I'm yeah. talking about, about using it as a platform for your, yeah. your theater exercises. I'm yeah, sure. Much. I'm sure independently, the impersonation of his father is really funny. Uh, I loved the brogue and there were some some right. funny things I found amusing, but but it just felt so self-indulgent to do both parts. And I also feel like um, it was kind of on the backs of really appealing performers like um, Nancy Travis. She's really appealing. Um, but she's just sort of used as a step stool for him. And, sure. and I, I resist that. Yeah, I agree, Mary Jo. So she's just 
um, there, and then he's gonna just like do all his stuff around her. Okay, now I'm gonna do this Irish brogue, and now I'm gonna do this. And like, I can't believe the guy gets millions of dollars to do his whole movie based on like a thing, Mary Jo, you and I would just goof around about, about and then he gets to just have a full blown movie. Everyone has to like, you know, set up their day so he can do his little shticks. And it's not in, in the way of the movie. To me, it seemed yeah. like there was a script there about a paranoid, you know, paranoid. There's all sorts of script stuff. And then you could tell that his stuff was just like shoved in there. I will do it. I will do my funny impression. No, I felt like that too. Like a director, pardon me, I can't, I can't recall who directed it, but like the director felt compelled to let the camera still keep running, that it was shoehorned in there. Yep. And it was yeah. Thomas, I, I don't, this is going to be very offensive to Thomas um, if he, if he's, he is still with us. Thomas, it's either Schlom or Schlame. It's S-C-H-L-A and then E. Right. Uh, so, but he did a lot of, he's done a lot of political stuff. He did the West Wing. He produced that rather. Um, he's directed a lot of TV shows since. And the, the backstory for those, uh, well, I guess for those that know, as well as those that don't know, cause I'm going to say it, uh, is that there were rumors floating around when this movie came out that Mike Myers was a nightmare to work with. He was a prima donna. He'd lock himself in his trailer until he got his way. And it turns out, well, from what we can piece together, it's probably somewhere in the middle because the, the script writer of this film, who's credited the script writer, is Robbie Fox. Robbie Fox um, apparently wrote a film that was more, as you were saying, Bridget, more based on a character that was paranoid versus sort of this fear of commitment, which I think is kind of a fallacy, but it's in every single rom-com movie ever. Um, oh. Oh, rom-com. Okay, okay. Yeah. I thought, all of a sudden I thought you were th talking about some guy named Ron. Ron. <laughs> rom-com <laughs> loves the commitment phone. <laughs> yeah, no. So he's, uh, and Robbie Fox just, he wrote dad, uh, he wrote some winners. He wrote In the Army Now with uh, Polly Shore. He wrote uh, the recent-ish Granddaddy Daycare because Daddy Daycare wanted Got to be one enough. Um, of course. But, so, so he wrote the script and then apparently um, Mike Myers and his friend from England came in and did heavy rewrites. Um, and then he pushed and said, we want uh, credit for myself and my friend on this new script draft and uh, Robbie Fox can have a story by and a screenplay. And uh, oh, Robbie Fox. I had an no. insight, is what you're saying. This is yeah. all coming back to me, right? And that Absolutely. I Absolutely. You, <laughs> you use your magic lens. But what's interesting is I don't know. I was trying to decide which I would have liked better if it had been to this original version that is theorized about, um, where Robbie Fox writes this character that's sort of a paranoid guy who just can't stick with a woman and he finally takes a plunge and then the paranoia turns out to be true or he thinks it's true. Or this you mean movie, Annie which, Hall. He would write Annie Hall. Well, and that's exactly what I was saying. I was like, "This is Annie Hall." In fact, the they originally wanted, gosh, um, uh, Mister Mister Mary, my Aaron? daughter, to play the lead character. Um, what? Wait, hold on. Yeah. Wait, are are you? Do I? Am I understanding you? They wanted Woody Allen yes. to play, which the mic makes zero sense to me. Um, zero sense to me. But I thought it was a vehicle for Mike Myers. See, and that's what now my assumption is, is that productions or pro the producers said, no, we want Mike Myers. We need a vehicle for him. But the script originally had called for someone like um, 
why am I blanking on his name, even though you just said it? I have a Woody block Allen. against Woody Allen right yeah, now. Yeah, and I didn't mean to sound so accusatory. I no, just no. couldn't wrap my head around like how that could be a Woody Allen film. And, and I hadn't made the sort of, you know, uh, Annie Hall sort of parallel. Well, if this blows your mind even more, they wanted Sharon Stone to play Nancy's role, to play the role of Harriet, the main love interest. Um, and Sharon Stone apparently was down for it, but she wanted to play dual roles. She wanted to play herself, Harriet, and who ends up being, spoiler alert, the crazy serial killing sister, Rose, as That's well. That's a great idea. It is a great idea, but the studio right. said no, so she pulled out. No, it was the one Sharon Stone in their movie. How dumb are you? But of course, they, of course they said no, because there can only be one actor playing dual roles. I know, and it has to be the man. And, yes. But here's the reality, though. I don't think Sharon Stone at this time, opposite Mike Myers, I think that would have blown the lid wide open. Uh, you're like, nope, can't happen. Couldn't possibly happen unless she's blind, and having a blind woman play two blind sisters is not going to work. There's um, your screenplay, Nate. Do it. <laughs> Boom. It's up on Kickstarter right now. Blind Axe Murdering <laughs> Sisters. It's 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 gonna be gold. So this was before he had Elizabeth Hurley. Uh, yeah, this is before Austin Powers. This is before. This is yeah. So oh, this okay. is '93, and it, it, I think we have Elizabeth Hurley playing against him. And yeah, okay. And, but uh, also, I, I feel like I feel like Nancy. My... Okay, Nancy Travis has much more of. Um, it, it doesn't, the pairing doesn't sound right to me with Sharon Stone because she's kind of got that edge, that sophisticated edge. Nancy Travis has more of a girl next door, which plays plays with the, is she an ex murderer or is she not? Sharon Stone is a woman. And also Sharon Stone, she could play a killer. It's sort of like, I think Nancy uh, Travis does a good job being occasionally scary a little bit when we think she's a serial killer maybe because she has this fear of him running off so she's extra clingy which we don't really know clingy is another problematic word but right right she's she's like following him and we're like oh no she is a killer uh, or oh yay she is a killer and um and then we but we don't really know why until it's because she thinks everyone she's married has run off when it turns out her sister has killed them and left fake notes claiming they ran off Right. Um, right. Her sister, by the way, listeners, is uh, Amanda Plummer, who uh, has an amazing voice for like animated characters. Um, that's what I always think of her as because she has sort of that um, Jennifer Tilly, hi, sort of raspy voice. Sure. Um, and her sister, I think one of the issues is, is that when it comes up that she's the killer, you're like, oh, that makes sense because they gave her horrible teeth. And I, I don't know if, if that's like, I didn't, I didn't understand that choice because she clearly is like made to look weird and frumpy and have like really bad teeth. And she has this really odd scene when she first meets Mike Myers' character where he's just slept with uh, Nancy's character for the first time. And Which I have, an, I, I take issue with, if you don't mind me. Please. Don't have them sleep together right away. That, that then the romance is gone. Like movies are supposed to be, you wait and wait and wait until the, they finally get together, and then the curtains blow, and and we don't have to see it. We don't have to see Mike Myers in any kind of bed situation. Right, right but maybe they How had. Are supposed to go. Maybe they had to bridge it because they saw that there was nowhere, there was no chemistry for, so there was nowhere for it to go. There was no way to build it. So it's just like, let's, let's get that out of the way because this is, there's no charm. There's no chemistry there. I don't know. 
exactly. I'm trying to say something smart. Exactly, Mary Jo. That's exactly what happened. You know, so, we've seen enough bad movies. We know how they do this. We know how this is done. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I, I interrupted no, you. Continue no, you're, on. You're, you're totally fine. I actually don't remember exactly what I was saying, but I did have a point the one to come back to, which is when I was thinking of how this movie, because I think if I compare this movie to other 90s vehicles for SNL characters and, and performers, I think it falls somewhere in the middle. It's not the worst. It's, it's watchable, but it is such a product of its time. I mean, the music is, I'm, I am shocked that Lisa Loeb was not on the soundtrack. I am, I am downright shocked. Yeah, it's um, shocking. And, uh, and that one horrible song is in it too, that I hate so much. Um, I like goes. the one, which one? There she goes. No, I like that song. I, I love that song. Did you like it the first, second, third, fourth, or I think fifth time they played it in this yeah, movie? Yeah, right. I know. It's like... also about, isn't it about heroin or cocaine? Oh, so no. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a it drug song. It was originally by The Laws, I think, right? And, yeah. And, and this was a cover by the Boo Radleys. Oh, okay. I never know that kind of stuff. Well, when they never play heroin? past the first verse, so it doesn't really. Right. And it's very anyway. charming. Like, it's very subversive because it's so poppy and charming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Um, and it could have, this movie could have gotten going in six minutes. It took forever to get to the plot. Like, it's, I was so yeah. bored. Can it, like, come on, just, just be, just be done. And I just have this note that I want to um, read. Hate, hate, hate. Why, why, why? <laughs> too long, too long. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for illuminating our conversation. <laughs> you know, I think. Roger Ebert had a similar thing. I'm just kind of playing off of his note. That you might want to kind of hear that along with who would fall in love with him. <laughs> we, we just, I have to play a clip here because this is my biggest problem with Ooh. the movie because there's like the sort of 90s under, it's, I don't think it's hit over the head misogynist as say a lot of horror movies and other movies that I do in this podcast all the time tend to be um, or a lot of older romantic films where it's like, well, he slapped me, so he must love me. It's not that kind of misogynist, but it is this like um, undercurrent of how did this four foot tall man with an operation guy haircut have all of these wonderful women over and over again, and he's the one that disconnects. And there isn't like a warning group that they put together, like he has hypnotic powers, don't go near him. Like how did that not happen? But this, this, is, the most, this is the thing most bothers me is that they're in San Francisco, they all have these massive apartments and his job is to be a beat poet. Let's yes. listen, let's listen to the first poem that he does in this movie of several, which is basically the same poem over and over again with some- Yeah, I, right. I, wrote it down. I think I know what this one is. I think I wrote it down, I was so annoyed. It's called Women, Women, I think, uh, or, or Woman, Woman, and, and here it is. And it's got this nice like jazz quartet uh, that's throughout the movie. Uh, the quartet was great. I, I wanted fantastic. more of the quartet. They, so, they, are, hey, they actually, they exist. They're good. They're a good band. I forget what they're called. Before you play it, so he's at open stages or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And then, so he goes and then his quartet comes and they split the, the what? The money from what? From, from like, where? Exactly. They apparently, at in 1993, so in 1993 in San Francisco, all you needed to have a large living space and, um, uh, I guess enough money to eat or at least for coffee and cigarettes is to exist and be under the age of 50. Well, and now it's about $3.6 million for a shoebox. 
Yeah, and he, he has this groovy car and finds parking every like Doris Day parking everywhere he goes. He does. And, it's uh, Carmen Dia. It, it is. It's a great right. car. It is a beautiful car. And he drives down that big hill and there's never anyone there. It's just a big hill. I'm like, oh, it's this is an episode of Full House without people. But no, right. it's not the case. Well, they broke up in front of the Full House house, so that was good. They did. Oh, I didn't even notice that. I don't know. Is it actually the house? Because it looks a lot like it. Well, it's on that row. Like, that's yeah, every yeah. AT&T um, commercial. I just kept, every time they kept showing shots of the city, I was just like, everywhere you look. That's all I kept thinking in my head. This, this is Mike Myers' uh, character's first poem. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for our own Mr. Charlie McKenzie. blows out a votive candle yeah. and what can i love <laughs> i love this jerry lewis he's jerry lewis the implication here is shocking that when they go our very own as though people are traveling the world to do an open mic at a massive coffee shop and i and also this is just totally beside the point but the, if there was but. one to begin with, the opening shot is a long shot of, um, you don't see who's carrying it, but uh, uh, presumably a barista or waitstaff person carrying this large uh, cappuccino in like a, a bowl to Mike Myers way in the back of this packed, uh, it looks like a Portland pizzeria turned coffee house kind of thing. I'd love it there, but I don't, I can't, I can't get the tickets, I guess. And it looks to, I thought they were drinking out of it the whole time because it's right up to the camera. And then they hand it to him and I'm like, were they drinking his drink? Cause that to me would have been the best joke. Hands down. <laughs> right. And then I get it. And he does the first, the first line of the movie is him doing this insanely stilted shtick. Of so, like, so bad. It's like, oh, excuse me. I ordered the large and I'm not making it up. That's how he delivers that line. And then people around him laugh. And I'm like, that, is the most dad dad joke that I'm pretty sure no dad has done it since their no, dad. No, so did he it. he does the thing, Nathan. He does the thing which I hate, where you set up your own comedy thingy and then you make fun of your own comedy thingy, and right, and and, and on and on and it goes. And then the whole uh, coffee shtick thing, Mary Jo. We just did that movie, Amanda and the Alien, and they were really into the isn't the coffee culture just crazy? And, and yeah. by the way. Guys, and listeners, if you haven't, it's Nicole Eggert uh, in Amanda and the Alien. I've, I tried to watch this movie so many times and I'd never even made it through the first 30 minutes until Mary Jo and Bridget ripped it on Rift Tracks. There so, you go. Thank, thank you. Thanks to you guys, I finished that film, which I don't know if I'm grateful for or not, <laughs> but it was very funny. 
<laughs> it does have Michael well, Dorn. In it, so listen for Michael Dorn a little bit. Yeah, you guys are very funny. And yeah. Well, thank that, you. I thought of that because it has that whole like, oh, it's the 90s. It's cool to be in a coffee shop and get coffee because that's what people do is coffee. And I'm like, I, this doesn't, this could have been anywhere with anything. Um, and it's sort of like in, um, the coffee shop where he's doing this is sort of like in Flashdance, where I don't know if you, if you have seen that or if you remember when um, the club where she's dancing, it's like they do Way overproduced. How could you? everything there. It's like there's, yes. a, there's a cabaret, there's a sexy dance. Water comes down. There's a, there's yeah. a comedian at one point. I'm like, where is this? Right. I know because all of us comedians of the 90s would have really liked to get a job at any of those places that had lighting and yeah, yeah lighting, please. Yeah. And then she's got a whole water setup. Come on. But her life sucks. And, and yeah, then that's 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 not the top for her. Um, yeah. But that was the sort of thing. I'm like, this is a setup for a movie that I would guiltily enjoy because I'm like, oh, look, a big coffee shop, especially since we're in quarantine, shelter in place. I'm like, right. wow, look at all that. And then we get that. And then his, his friend, who is a police officer, because that has to be the case for the plot to work, um, is, is played by uh, Thomas, uh, or what's his, I forget. I'm, I'm dropping the ball here. Um, it was funny, I love that. Yeah, whole Anthony, Anthony um, LaPaglia. LaPaglia. There LaPaglia. it is. There you go. There's the correct pronunciation. Who I love, I love him. He's fantastic. And actually, anything. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I, I need to let you know, though, that it's my podcast. So people's names are how I say them. Oh. I just, I, I just well, well, I appreciate you mispronouncing my name, sir. Yeah, I appreciate it. Peel? Did I? It's, you said Pell. Damn it! You know what? I know it's Peel because I actually liar. listen. Liar. I, I do He's because I read your IMDb, and so it is. It specifically says in the uh, trivia that uh -huh. your last name is pronounced Peel. Which uh -huh. I remember thinking, I don't think that's trivia. I think that's uh -huh. how you say your name. Uh huh. But it's it's spelled uh -huh. P E H L. Uh -huh. And I I am really a, enjoying putting you on the spot right now. I am too. The, the, the hole that he's digging. <laughs> yeah. I'm listening. It is. Uh huh. I am, uh huh. I am. The worst part is the worst part is that I literally you're lucky I didn't call you Mary Jo Pearl because that's been that's been in my brain forever. And I just have to say. I will never not laugh to myself and think for whatever reason throughout the week, some scenario will make me think of um, the scenes that, that you two did together on Mystery Science Theater in one of the oh. later seasons when you guys are in ancient Rome. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, slut, I mean, I, what? Saw that. I, I think of that, oh, I've seen them all. Uh, and, uh, and and don't worry, it's it's the the, the fanboying comes later. I don't have to creep you out with it now, but the, the slut, I mean, what moment between you two? <laughs> is like it, it just I know that that joke's been done before but that's literally where it's in my head so every time I hear that word even if I should be taking offense my first thing in my brain is slot I mean what I'm like, oh. well so. and you bring up an interesting point when you say that so like and I, as I was watching this I was thinking about it about how you know it's fun to tear something like this apart and everything but like ultimately you know you write comedy it's of the moment almost always you write it you hope it you hope it works. If it was the 90s and I was your average person and I went to see this movie on Saturday night and then went and had a pizza, I wouldn't have been mad or anything. It, you know, you just go like, yeah, you know. But since right. we were 
in the business at the time, yeah. I remember someone saying, oh, I saw it. And at the beginning, there was this really cool scene where this cup of coffee, and I remember at the time just going like, oh, I have to sit uh, here and listen to this person tell uh, me about a Mike Myers movie. No, no right, right. And I right. want money to make my funny joke into a whole movie. Right, oh. right. Especially when you, when um, that, that particular scene, I don't know if it was a single shot. I mean, they I do it they do it very well, but it's like, come on, uh, you know, let's talk Goodfellas. So please don't even with and your coffee. it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. The rest of the movie is a very right. traditionally shot film. There's no real, it's, it's static camera, which is fine. I'd rather people do static camera than, than fail at another kind of camera, but it just doesn't feel like the movie. It felt like something yeah. completely different. Just get that, to the funny, just right. get to the funny. I think and, that's but, a really good point. Yes. And skip the sex meat scene. The, Where she's doing sex things to the meat. I, I just that was bizarre. So apparently, um, uh, in that scene, when because a lot of this, as we would expect, I, I didn't find any confirmation of this, but I don't think I needed. I think it's pretty obvious that a lot of um, what you're probably finding distasteful are the times when they essentially let Mike Myers just riff and do his own um, ad lib, which occasionally I think that they leave it on way too long, even if something would work. We then get him like naked walking up the stairs for three minutes. Like it's just right a on. weird, it's just a weird thing where I'm like, oh, the movie stops. So I watched this. Right. Um, totally. And don't and, you think MJ, it's kind of like, and, and do people call you Nate? Nate, Nate is perfect. Um, just that's what directors are for, for. So let a funny director direct you because you're, you're Mike Myers, people like you. You're not not funny. You have shticks and things that like, if I knew you and hung out with you, I'd probably, we'd be laughing about a lot of the similar things and be friends and everything, but like, let a good director direct you. Right, trust a director. And yeah. and um, also if I were the other actors, like that kind of thing would drive me crazy. Like, oh, we're all in service to your, your shtick. And now this has to go on and I'm, I'm, waiting for you to finish your thing and maybe you want to redo it so that that i, I that would really annoy me i think you're right like yeah if you had to watch him go up the steps nude again but the supporting, so to speak the, the the supporting funny people in this were all funny like um, i think my favorite like part michael richards scene yeah, yes. yeah. And I thought his mom did a really good job too. Brenda Fricker. Yes, yeah. she did a great job. Um, and she's got, they gave, I actually felt like they gave her more than I expected of his mother. She's got little bits um, where she, you know, sort of makes out with his friend, Anthony LaPaglia. Is that correct? <laughs> that's how, that's my understanding, yes. Okay. Uh, and, and, and I loved his bits with his boss. Um, and, uh, Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin. And Alan I Arkin, love those are oh. my favorite parts because his boss is the this super sweet, nice, caring police chief, and all you know, Anthony's character wants him to be is like from Starsky and Hutch screaming at him, yelling at him, and yeah. and, him, and so he tries to play this character, and it made me happy. And those scenes felt, I don't, I don't know if those were added later or if those were part of the uh, of the original different script because I do feel like there's a disconnect um, when Mike Myers isn't on screen. It does feel like a different movie. Um, totally. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. They feel more um, authentic and based in something. And and Al, Alan Arkin, please, um, I love him so bad. 
he's oh. always always funny and he's never amazing. not funny. he also steals the scene a little bit by being so good it's just so natural it's very clear yeah. that he is one of the all-time professionals so when he does come in it's sort of impossible because i guess he wasn't actually uh accredited in the original film oh. it was just a cameo um and uh supposedly uh he joined the film along with a lot of other people uh stephen wright of course and phil hartman is in here when he was alive and michael bisher is as opposed to when he was dead i don't know why i added that of course he was alive. <laughs> appreciate the clarification I, <laughs> right right i'm like I, i'd still cast him um and i guess it's because they wanted to work with mike myers i don't know if that's true or not i'm not sure where that information came from but well, he was hot as can be of I, yeah, yeah sure sure I'd work, i would love to work with them now i uh, oh yeah I, yeah I Phil tried Hartman to pitch him like, Pat in the Hat too, and it just didn't fly with right. anyone. Um, right. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I would. I, I so the original plot apparently um, came about, and I'm trying to find the quote here um, that that I that I found in it from an interview. But I guess uh, Robin Fox uh, met with uh, either the. I wish I knew this, but either the producer. You know, but it. it, it it doesn't end up mattering because it's well, be funny. The, Just the, the reason funny. is because the, origi right. the original idea is the scriptwriter got together with a producer or director, somebody, and said, trying to pitch ideas to each other. And it came down to the fact that um, they both were having terrible time with women relationships. And they, the quote is something along the lines of, it seems like the women are just out to destroy us. And that became cool. almost a little more problematic for me because I'm like, wait, I wonder what was changed in the script because that's a very dated idea for a movie like this. Wow. And I, I guess, I don't know how to feel about that. It, it changed me because originally I was thinking, I was like, I wonder what the script and film would have been like in its original incarnation. And then after reading that, I'm like, that's a, that's a telling sign to me. Cause that yeah. makes me think that it's not going to be a good movie uh, right. in, any, right. in any way, shape or form. So it makes me wonder what, the the purpose for rewriting these scenes was beyond giving more of a vehicle and, and more room for mike myers to do his his thing i think that was the only reason i probably that's uh, what i, I imagine just right. just accommodating all that and trying to make it fit some sort of uh through line like i'm not saying it's successful but just trying to force that in yeah. there like okay i guess we i guess we you know retrofit it to accommodate all this Sure. Yeah. Well, so this is another thing. This is the list of people that were considered for uh, Mike Myers' role. Apparently, the lead was written for Chevy Chase. And again, this is 1993. I don't really see the ages of the people that they're considering working for what they ended up with. Maybe it was radically different. Um, but Chevy Chase, then Woody Allen, Albert Brooks, and then Martin Short. And I guess Albert Brooks and Martin Short uh, looked at it, but they didn't like the character. So, which I think is also kind of telling because Martin Short pretty much only plays nice guys or crazy people, right? And sometimes crazy nice guys. And mm -hmm. I think that that sort of is telling of this character is sort of undeserving, it feels like. like oh, totally. I don't understand where he gets, where he gets this, this I guess it's success, but this, this yes, comfort it was in my, in my well-researched notes. <laughs> I love well, him. I think if it was Martin Short or um, uh, Albert Brooks, it would have been the, it just feels like it would be so much different. Like Bridget, a, a little while ago, you said the movie should have gotten going in six minutes. Mm -hmm. And with, with either of those two, I feel like it, 
it would have either because of their approach or maybe they would have tweaked it along the way but um it doesn't feel like an albert brooks movie at all like that would be a fundamental shift for me that in my estimation it feels right. almost like the kind of movie you could have dropped any hot comic property in uh the way it is now and let them do a bit like it could have been an early jim carrey thing uh where they could have dropped him in mary joe that's not appropriate no to make that no face. i know I'm i did you see me like <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just I'm just kidding there's we all have different opinions perhaps but i think it's it's it feels accurate to me because really it's a character who is uh who is so self-important that his the women in his life are secondary characters he's he's attaining them and there's enough empty space in the script for him to make hilarious faces or whatever and do some physical comedy and it, it just felt Could like you that. give me an example of one of the hilarious faces <laughs> <laughs> so so <laughs> there there aren't any but here's the thing about mike myers that, that kind of confused me a little bit in this is he does Bit, like he actually acts a little in this movie, which kind of surprised me. And I will give him, Mary Joe's got this like. <laughs> so join the Patreon because you're going to miss half of the subtext of this entire conversation. Um, uh, but, citations, please. Footnotes. <laughs> well, he doesn't add, I will, I, will, I will amend it to say he doesn't add sort of a, an intentional comic levity when he's like professing his love and things. Like he has his, what I imagine is his natural face on. Um, whereas at other times he doesn't like when he's wooing her his entire wooing process is about like shrinking his neck down into his shoulders which is like his thing yeah um mm -hmm. and like opening his mouth really wide which he does as austin powers as well and and mm -hmm. so on mm -hmm. um and it it feels like well i guess what it comes down to is this movie is actually feels like a more traditional romantic comedy that they tagged on um a 10 minute axe murder chase on at the end because right. there is no axe murdering in the film like we're set up with hey there's a crazy axe murder apparently and then in the middle we know that she clearly is somehow connected because she has artifacts from the previously dead people we've learned about in her apartment and then at the end uh it turns out to be her sister which is why they're in the apartment i guess um i also i would probably not enshrine um my dead loved ones things who i think just left me uh in my apartment that's a relatively unhealthy thing to do i think um, but she does she dedicates a lot of her massive apartment to hanging things from her past loved ones <laughs> on yeah. the wall i think you bring up a really good point is that it uh it plods along if you will and then then the whole uh denouement and the the climax just are oh we gotta get we gotta get to this and it it didn't make sense to me like nothing it did not follow for me can we talk can we talk about his friend tony the cop um uh chartering a plane to reach their honeymoon getaway the, that is flown by stephen wright now this is my favorite part of the movie probably just because i like watching stephen wright uh confuse people around him and that's the intent of this scene but again i'm like oh this scene is just a vehicle for stephen wright to do right. five minutes and um and they must cut back three or four times, probably three times to him when really it's like a one shot scene. Um, and I guess it's like, it comes so close to the end and it's a big cameo that they dedicate a few minutes to. Uh, and then at the end, we've got this like, I didn't understand. I guess that's the thing, it doesn't make sense, right? But like we didn't need any more funny. No, yeah. like you just needed to get to the moment and get done, you know. Like, and and here's the here's the Same part with the Charles Broden uh, cameo. 
uh, why, you know, you're wasting Charles Grodin on, on him. Right. And yeah. he's funny. Um, but that could have happened like in like, can I come into your car? No. Next scene, they're driving down the road. Right. Right. And I, and yeah, that's the thing. I kept waiting for a joke in that scene because he's so good. <laughs> His voice is so good. And then I'm like, oh, I get the joke after the second time. He says, no, that's the joke. And then right. he's at two or three more times. And then like, there's no, there's no payoff to that joke after that. And he is just driving in the car. Like they could have done anything. Like he could have been singing right. along to the radio in his monotone. It just could have done some help. Yeah, the there payoff. she goes once again. Right. Like it just could have wrapped back. And, and I just right. felt like they were missed opportunities. Um, and, and can we talk about the dinner scene where uh, Mike Myers gets the phone call at the honeymoon place when they've just sat down at dinner and he's told by his cop friend that she's actually the killer. Yes, but first, can we address um, the fact that at the anniversary party, her hair, she looks like Beethoven. <laughs> she does. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. I will credit, I'm like, at least I like the dress. I don't know, maybe I'm out of fashion. I like the dress because the rest of the movie, the 90s fashion is so rough. Yes, I have that in my notes. I was going to ask Mary Jo, what did yes. you think of the wedding dress? I can't remember it. Oh, wait, I can't remember it. It was I the think one that wasn't thought... Mm -hmm. I think I thought it was, I can't remember. I think I thought it was pretty. Uh-oh. <laughs> it, it kind of had a, um, it was pretty. And it was kind, It was an off-white and it was pretty. But was, I, it, I, was it a gunny sack style? No, but, but you know, it had, you know, the 80s puff had gone away. And so it was yeah. thin and it, it, it flattered her figure. And it had kind of a little um, thing in the back. I don't know if it was a hood or not, but I did note that it was, it was pretty. Yeah, I liked so, it. All right, Nancy Travis singing back was your, not my favorite your little part, podcast or whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> yeah, we're doing, Bridget and I are doing a sub podcast. <laughs> I asked you guys to keep it to a tight 15. Um, yeah, no, the, the, the dress that she wore at the end, I liked, and it was a departure from what had, like, she wore it. Oh, she was she, a like, Mandarin collar. She had a Mandarin collar. Yes, oh, okay. and, and previously everyone, uh, except for Mike Myers, had just raided Kurt Cobain's, like, storage shed. Um, and just said, it's the 90s, let's bring it in. There are no shapes. Everyone is a jellyfish in denim and plaid. And um, it, was, it was a nice scene, but then they get to the table and I don't know how much money they were, the characters are supposed to have paid to be there, but if my entire dinner at a fancy place was hijacked by a couple of people's wedding anniversary or, or, or like right. celebration, right. the entire restaurant erupts and carries them upstairs to presumably have sex in a bedroom, which is so medieval. They just like huck them in off a chair, like get at it, rabbits. A rattan chair, which would never have been in there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's just, it was the weirdest, like, I'm like, is no one, like it was when all, san in, like, all sanity went away. Um, like you guys just did uh, an awesome riff of um, the uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, the 1991 Redgrave version. And there's that bit at the end, and I guess, it, I don't know if it's a drag show or what it is, but when she goes up and, and, and uh, you know, the, 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 the Looney Tunes sister trying to be uh, conscientious of her mental illness is... Who is? You are right now? I or am. The Oh, okay. By, by saying Looney Tunes, the Looney Tunes sister. I, I love the Looney okay. Tunes. Yeah, no. She's, <laughs> she's clearly got issues. And uh, she, don't we all? She gets up on stage and she's doing her bit. And then she leaves the stage and just all hell breaks loose. It's like that, right. you know, the and choreographer the died moment in Rocky Horror. We get, we get the fishbowl lens and everyone's moving around and there's someone in like baby clothes who's mocking her. And I'm like, I don't think he has a leg to stand on. But that's that moment in this movie. 
everything just goes out the window. And in like 45 seconds, they're out of the restaurant, which they haven't gotten any food at. They get, <laughs> we're done the dance that they were called to do. They get thrown on a chair, thrown in their room. And then uh, Nancy's character gets thrown and locked in a closet. And then the crazy sister is there. And then the ax battle ensues. Like that is literally, I feel like it's like two minutes. And there's so much there that that is the most action in the entire film. And it's slammed into like two minutes. And I'm literally just holding onto the couch going, what am I, what is, what am I watching? How much is left of this? And then, and then it ends. It, yeah, and it makes absolutely no sense. And just to circle back, I think Amanda Plummer is a really excellent actor. I agree. Uh, I don't, there have been a couple of things, which I can't recall that she's been in where she's been amazing, but uh, I feel, you know, it, I guess but it was a gig. And, and she's been in the yeah. King. What were you saying, Mary Jo? Sorry. It's a gig. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I just like her as an an actor. She's an acquired taste for a lot of roles, but I like her. Well, mm -hmm. I actually kind of thought before, like scrutinizing the posters, uh, uh, I actually thought she was going to be the love interest. Um, I, mean, I did too. And and that's what I thought. And so when she when she just shows up in a couple of scenes as the the crazy sister, and the she has these great line like a couple of nice lines that are sort of that crazy cable guy moment where it's like is this funny or is this terrifying i'm not sure yet um and and yet and like she sketches mike myers when she first meets him like for two seconds at a breakfast table and then that's never brought up i'm like there there's Chekhov has so many guns lying across the floor here yeah that are never picked I, up. I think there were gaps in this movie to be honest i think there were you know yeah. flaws you're like you're loud you're allowed. So I'm going to, I'm going to call it on this and we're going to, we're going to wrap up. I'm going to ask you guys here the question I ask everybody on this show, okay. uh, starting with you, Bridget, who would you recommend So I Married an Axe Murder to and why? I know I would show it to comedy, aspiring comedy writers and um, they could watch the movie and and note what is still funny because it's funny whether like it's a good like, for example I Bill Hartman the stuff he says yeah. I was not to my taste but he does a thing with his yep. face funny because he's funny um and I so I would recommend it to just people who are writing scripts or people mostly people just wanting to write funny things note what's funny and what is just fluff of the time I think that would be a fun practice and I think that's interesting that you said that too. And just, I want to mention it too, because I love Phil Hartman. He's one of, like his voice, like made me want to get into entertainment. It was totally. so bad. And, and, and I was so sad when he passed away. And the bit they have him do is he was so killed. blue he for the character. Huh? He was killed. I know. I was I mean, trying to. I know. But I was, like, I think here's, it's the, here's why I say, say that. Because every time I say it, I get mad at Andy Dick. And I don't want to go on a rant about Andy Dick. Okay. But... <laughs> I saved yeah. that for an entire episode called "Why I'm Frustrated with Andy Dick," and <laughs> okay. um, but no, it is it is true. He was he was killed by his girlfriend at the time, uh, who was who was in a drug induced state, and uh, Andy Dick apparently gave her the drugs. So that's why you stay away from drugs, kids, and oh, you don't talk to Andy Dick. So, oh. but uh, I agree that that was another case where I thought it was a missed opportunity. I don't think what they gave Phil Hartman to say was funny. And it was, it was about having like sex with a, a prison bitch's eye socket, like to be, to be direct. And, and it just doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. And also it was not so insanely out of there, out the window that it was funny. 
Um, and so I just, it was just another case where I'm like, oh, Phil Hartman. I'm like, wait for this, honey. And I'm like, okay, I was Phil Hartman. All right. And it's, it was, there was no payoff for that. Um, but I think you're right, Bridget. I think that's a really good way to approach this film is what's funny because it's legitimately funny. And yep. uh, his face is funny. He made funny absolutely, faces. Absolutely. I think, and I'm going to go next because it's my show, not yours. And I'm going to say that I would recommend this probably to people who they just couldn't get enough sort of 90s SNL comedy. I, I think that it's fine for what it is at its time, but I think there's better. I mean, I'd rather watch something that at least is weird. Um, I would rather watch Coneheads or something if I'm going to watch this kind of skit-based comedy that's blown up to a feature. Um, but it is a classic for many people. But I think that when you watch it again, you're going <laughs> to marry Joe's face. When you watch it again, I think that you're going to... Um, you're going to be surprised at how much doesn't hold up. Last but definitely not least, Mary Jo Peel, who would you recommend So I Married an Axe Murderer to and why? Well, I think we need another podcast to uh, examine the meaning of classic because uh, I would <laughs> go to the mat for that one. Um, I'd probably recommend this to my sister-in-law who thinks that this stuff is so funny. He's so funny. Have you seen it? It's so funny. You haven't seen it. You're a comedian, but it's so funny. So my sister-in-law. It's like that copy of like, um, I'm just going to pick on Paula Abdul, but like in, nine, in 1992, you get a Paula Abdul cassette tape from someone's friend who came to your birthday party and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. And then you're like, here, you can have this and you hand it to your younger sibling and they're like, yay, an animated dog. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's sort of like what, what this you're suggesting with this movie. And I think that that's accurate. We know there are people who like this movie. They're not going to think about it. They're not going to put any thought or depth to the problematic. And I'm not going to get into an argument with them about it. Like, okay. Right, 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 right. right Mary Jo, where you just go like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to have to check it out. Thanks. Yeah, yep. exactly. Sounds good. It's like, but, yeah, maybe I'll watch it one day if somebody asks me to be in a podcast nobody's heard of. And then <laughs> you have to watch it. So, you know, Casablanca, Mary Jo, as you know, with a classic, you know what's going on by the time that plane goes around and then they show the map, it's two minutes in and like an amazing setup right. for the sure. best movie ever is done. Right, yeah. right. So economical and so powerful. Yes, and I think Humphrey Bogart would have been good in this movie. <laughs> I, I think he might have been in this movie in a cameo that I didn't remember because he didn't have any good lines. All right, so we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back with the next film, The Positively True Adventures of an Alleged, alleged Texas Cheerleader Killing Mom. Hey, cult and classic crew, friends and fiends of the pod, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Nate, I don't have any money, and if I did, I'd be spending it on cool things like buttons and custom trading cards and zines that are unique and made each week by the cult and classic podcast family. And guess what? You can do both of those things at once. You can support cultandclassicpodcast.com and get awesome swag like buttons and custom trading cards that are printed on actual trading card stock by actual trading card printers and autographed by the artist and also zines like classic issues of rearted with comics and illustrations and interviews as well as brand new cult and classic podcast family publications that uh, are brand new so you'll get them first in line 
These are awesome, awesome things that you can get just by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get videos of our episodes. You can see all our lovely shining faces as well as exclusive content like uh, extra episodes, film reviews, book reviews, and things like commentary by us on our short films, which you'll also be able to see. If you want to pay a little more, $5 a month per se, US, then you get an awesome autographed custom trading card. These are official printed uh, at the same place that prints every other trading card you've ever bought, and they're autographed by the artist. These are exclusively for Cult of Classic Podcasts and inspired by our episodes. They, you can't get them anywhere else except through us. Only $5 a month, you get it shipped right to you. Shipping is free. If you pay $10 a month, if you are a true drinker of the Kool-Aid for cultandclassicpodcast.com, then you will get uh, the trading card, access to all of the content that is exclusive to Patreon members, and you will get a brand new zine every month, whether it's a classic uh, copy of Rearded Zine uh, with interviews, comics, art, all sorts of cool stuff, or brand new Cult and Classic Podcast family publications. Those will get sent straight to your door. Plus there's usually extras like pins, stickers, all sorts of cool stuff. So you're doing two great things. You're spending money on awesome swag and you're supporting Cult and Classic Podcast. I know it's tough right now in the pandemic. If you can do it, join us at Cult and Classic Podcast Patreon. If you can't, why don't you recommend it to a friend? We all have those rich friends and uh, they can spread it around a little more. I'm just gonna say it, all right? Thank you so much. And uh, as always, Colton Classic Podcast loves you. And we are back with Mary Jo Peel and Bridget Nelson. Uh, this movie is, the, the title is so long and I think, I'm just gonna guess that maybe that's why it's not as well remembered as some other films because I personally think this film is pretty strong. Uh, we're going to talk about it. Starring Holly Hunter and Few Bridges, this is the positively true adventures of an alleged Texas cheerleader killing mom. Uh, this is an HBO television movie based on the true story of uh, a woman named Wanda Holloway who was really interested in getting her daughter in. I think they're actually in like junior high. Uh, on the cheer eighth grade, the cheerleading squad in Texas, which by the way, I don't understand, they, they guess they elect cheerleading squad members. I never had this at my schools. We, apparently we didn't have enough money to throw it in saying things like that. And uh, she just, she tries to get her, her ex-husband's brother to put out a hit on mm -hmm. and have, have this uh, competing cheerleader's mother and the competing cheerleader killed so her daughter will have a spot uh, and, on the team. And it sort of escalates where the brother-in-law is like, I don't, I'm not gonna, he doesn't even try to do it. He ends up working for uh, the major crimes to sort of try and get her on tape saying that she'll do this. Uh, and they did, and then they took it to trial and there was a mistrial. And that's where this movie ends is when they're awaiting an appeal. And we'll get into what actually happened because that's yeah. really interesting. But so Holly Hunter in this movie, I'm gonna say right off is at her top. I think she is phenomenal in this film. Her, the nuances she gives his character, it's very much for, for people who haven't seen or heard of this movie, um, it, it's kind of, I think it's a more serious take, but still dark comedy take of like the I, Tonya vibe um, with Margot Robbie of recent, where it's, it's um, based on the Tonya Harding case, where it's like, it's kind of tongue in cheek, it's kind of a satire, but it also uses the facts. And in this case, some of the footage is kind of mixed in. 
um, with the film. And it, it goes back and forth in time and it sort of treats uh, Holly Hunter's character's uh, TV interviews, documentary, as a framing story for this. So it yeah, starts with yeah. her and then it goes to the story and then it ends sort of with the framing story as she's still talking to people, kind of explaining. It's a, it's a weird movie, but I think that it's absolutely um, worth a watch. Uh, Mary Jo, I know you're super excited about this. I am too. What was your expectation going in? Had you seen it before? I don't think I, I don't think I had. And yet, I don't know, don't listen to me. And yet I was, like it struck some chords, like, wait a minute. Um, I loved that. I thought that framing device was really ingenious. And that is Richard Schiff as the, the faux documentary producer. And I love him. He appears later on camera, but that's his voice you hear. And um, I just thought the setup just was, was perfect. And she's so good in it. She's so, so chilling and ruthless with this, this uh, facade of, of Texasness and she can turn on the smile. And in Texas, you know, that the, the football culture and the cheerleading culture are huge. Like, you know, I lived in Texas for a while and was familiar with the whole football thing. I mean, it's intense. And then the whole cheerleading thing, and it's a, it's a wild story. And Bridget, do you, you think you might have seen this in the past you mentioned? Um, well, I, before I say anything, I would just like to say that I am very, very glad. <laughs> I'm just not sure if I had ever actually seen one, and I try to watch as many of hers as I can, but sometimes I just can't. And so I have Bridget. to watch this one to make sure that I really under, do understand what Holly Connor is You are a genius. <laughs> your solo show, your solo show for Broadway. Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter, Holly Hunter, Holly Hunter, Holly Hunter. <laughs> exactly. That's it right there. And everyone's going to go expecting Holly Hunter. They'll get you. She's fantastic. No matter what she does, she just, she just good. Um, anyway, um, uh, no, I hadn't seen it. I was having babies in 1993. I had a baby in 1993, my oldest son. And um, that's a long labor. Um, <laughs> that's the <laughs> today were you know kind of at the end of where your life is your own um and so i have always wanted to see this one so i saved it and watched it on a saturday night like as you know my movie that i watched that night so it was it was really fun and like i said i i, I really do like holly hunter quite a bit well she's fantastic yeah. she's from georgia right and this movie gives her a chance to just go full draw like Oh my Sometimes God. I don't even know what she's saying, but I understand what she means. Yeah, totally. She's so good. And it's all in this tiny package of a person. Like there's scenes where she's walking away and you kind of go, oh, she's so little. <laughs> Just, I know. Yes. The car door. The car door goes like <laughs> over her head. <laughs> On that Wagoneer, by the way. Yeah. Very classic. Yeah. Uh, Jeep Wagoneer. Really nice. I, I would both. say that. I would, would you rather have the Carmen Ghia or the Jeep Wagoneer? Carmen Ghia. Carmen Ghia. Yeah, me too. I think it's probably safer, even though they're both death traps. But anyway, I digress. Well, I love Bo Bridges too. He can do no wrong in my book. And um, the scenes when they're in the car discussing it feels pretty unscripted. Like I think they yeah. run a little, a little long. They kind of rehash the same material, but the energy behind it is so. Uh, you know, genuine or authentic and um, 
and I don't know if they memorized all that. It felt kind of non-scripted. I think it was from the tape. Oh, of that course. Interesting. Derp. I, I didn't know that. Um, I do know that in the actual, like in the, the proceedings, they talk about that change from him actually like wearing a wire and doing the conversation to being much shorter. Um, it's like a day where in the movie it feels like many days. Um, so I don't know if that's the case. They might have been trying to work that in because they do have a lot of neat tricks where they'll use like TV footage of uh, people interviewing either Wanda or other people yeah. from the case. And they'll cut to, instead of cutting to the real Wanda Holloway, they'll cut to um, uh, Holly Hunter doing her thing and, and they'll use the same video effect. And it's really, it's great. Uh, and it Okay, looks so I have a question about that then. <sighs> How does that go into time then? How does that, not that that this movie needs to be, you know, seen for all time, but like, I didn't know that. And so it, and so in some ways, does that, does that still work then? Like they're cutting this in, well, I, I didn't notice it or know that, does that matter? Or could you have written it better to further right. your story or make funnier jokes or? Oh, what? that's a good yeah. question. I mean, I think, well, because when I was watching this, the thing that did pop into my head was I, Tanya, not because they're the same, but because it's trying to do, I think, a similar thing, make a dark right. comedy out of a real true crime event where they're like, well, nobody died, so we can do this. Um, and it's sort of, it's sort of where, where that one is based off of very loosely, like Tanya Harding's like memoir. Uh, this felt like it was based, and it says it is, it's based off like the court transcripts and, and interviews and things. And I do feel like that's the difference, right? We get these two different movies, one that has a lot more freedom with presentation because it doesn't try and stick. And this one felt like it did try and stick. Like I actually felt like I was being informed as I was watching this. Wow, right, um, right. And, and that's why I went and if, if, I, if it didn't work, I wouldn't have bothered to, to scour the net for Wikipedia. And, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and read through this. And it's, um, and I don't know if it's more effective. I'm a history buff, so I kind of liked it. But I do think that, as, as, as you said, Mary Jo, it does have some extra space. There's some extra time where, like, I get it. Like, there was a, a little bit of a long time between when he actually starts getting tapes on her and they actually go to arrest her. And while I figured that's probably realistic, right, they're trying to build mm -hmm. up enough evidence, um, I'm like, we as the audience know. Um, and right. if it wasn't for their acting chops, it would have been painful, actually, probably to have those extra 15 minutes. Right. I think that's a really good point. And as I was listening to Bridget, I was trying to figure out, is it because I'm so enamored with Holly Hunter that she just carries this? And so I was able, I just kind of overlooked like the framing device or the gaps in it. I'm, I'm just thinking about that. Right. Is it better to just write a movie script or is it important that you use this stuff? I, I don't know. But, but I think maybe that's what I liked about it is playing around with the format because mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. the experimenting with it. Mm -hmm. I thought the casting across the board was so good. Like okay. the daughter was just so extremely regular oh, totally. that it really works instead of, I think, a Hollywood casting. We're like, let's make sure, you know, so we get the teens in on this. She's some cute little thing. And not that she wasn't a fine, no, but, she, but she was totally. very regular. Yes. Totally. And I think that was important. That this is and, all about this regular girl who just really 
kind of didn't even care after a while. Right, like, with this overpowering mother. And then the mom of the other cheerleader, they I think they play her really nicely because they're really economical in the way that um, she's got a good heart and a good soul, but it's not that over the top, you know, uh, fried green tomatoes, heart of gold way. Good versus evil. Right, she's just very simple and, and they don't use her, they use her well, it's not over the top. And then you're talking about um, the character uh, of, uh, in the other mom, right, is uh, uh, Verna Heath. Uh, and she's yes. played by Elizabeth Ruscio, Ruscio, R-U-S-C-I-O, I'm looking to you, Mary Jo. Ruscio, I think, Ruscio. Ruscio. Uh, she, who does a great job. They do an interesting thing with her too, and kind of with everyone in this movie, where I sort of feel like, of course, no one else is being accused of trying to uh, solicit a murder, but they all have these little bits of things, which we probably all do if we were to watch tapes of ourselves, where we're like, ooh, that's not the best light, right? Like the way this film, one of the last scenes is um, Verna Heath sitting in the stands alone in a, a darkened uh, football arena, telling her daughter to do the routine, the again, the cheerleading routine, again. And at first the band is there practicing too. And then the band turn is stops, the lights go off and you hear her go, from the top or again from the start and you're like man that is and then it just made me rewind to when she's talking her the mom is talking about Polly Hunter's character she's like she's all about the promotion and and that's that's why basically why her kid isn't going to succeed and that's why I push you about the skill all about the skill so you have the skill to succeed and I'm like ooh Maybe we, we should push our kids across, <laughs> like to that extent across the way, because then it started to call back. You know, man, we don't get a lot of her, but they just they don't let anybody off the hook, which is kind of a nice. Yeah. You know, it also means they don't drop anything. That's right? a good way to when, put when it. Constantly right. Constantly checking back with characters and giving us these little bits. Um, Bo Bridges, as you said, I didn't really. My experience with Bo Bridges was knowing that knowing his brother and watching him as the dad in The Wizard, which is not a great representation probably of his skill and in this i was kind of blown away um because he he plays this good old boy right who's trying to get his life on track on paper uh and then he goes home and he yells at his wife who has mental illness oh yeah that was tough to watch and it's, yeah. it's hard to watch and mm -hmm. i have to say you're talking about the southern the texting my uh, part of my family is in mississippi alabama and the mannerisms had me like pressed into the couch like when in the beginning it's one of the early scenes Polly Hunter's calling her ex-husband's character to get him to pay for um like rulers with the daughter's name on it so yeah. she'll get nominated <laughs> yeah. so they can give them away and like she's, on, that the was brilliant, I might she's say. on the phone with him and she snaps her fingers down low with the big acrylic nails down low to get the daughter to come over so she's going to use her on the phone and I'm like, I, I jumped off the couch a little bit because that's, I'm like, oh my God, like, do I have to, where am I going? Who's calling me? Like, what's happening? I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's the movie. I can relax. Yeah. Like it was, no, it was that totally. Yeah, that, I think that's what's great about it, that slice of life, because that is what, what happens when you're, uh, with your in a situation like that you've got to the kids coming home the husband's there the ex-husband's on the phone she's got a she's got scheming to do you know it's just yeah. all happening at the same just time click 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 let's yeah, yeah and well, i think what uh i was just going to ask you um um you about bo bridges because i know that you do like him we i love him i thought he was this. great Explain he's great though. in um 
he's great in Norma Ray. Like he's so touching in Norma Ray. And um, what's the other one? The Fabulous Baker Boys. He's yeah. terrific in. And in Norma Ray, he's you know the, the same kind of character in a way. From a, a well, I don't know if it's the same kind of character, but yeah, he in in Norma Ray, he just feels more well-meaning and not really understanding Norma Ray's right. quest, you know, right. but still really earnest and supportive. And in this, when she's, she's it's his she's the husband, right? Or he's the husband? Yeah. When she just goes, you want the dishes clean here? And she she squirts him in the sink and she's walking around the kitchen. Right? I've forgotten that. <laughs> you have such a much better memory than I do. Yes. Oh, I don't. But that's them, right? That's that yeah. dynamic. So yeah, same kind of like things aren't going well, but yeah. All right. Well, and he's Sorry. sort of, well, yeah, I, think, I think what you raise is a good point. He's perfect kind of as a foil to um, maybe not so much in intent or character because they both have like this undercurrent of greed and like needing a little more. Um, but he, he plays a really good opposition to Holly Hunter's character because they both can carry a monologue. Um, in this, mm -hmm. in, in these characters. And like Bo Bridges has a couple, especially when we first see him, he's on like the, uh, it's not an oil rig, but it's a refinery or something. Um, and he's talking to his friend who's his, uh, his partner in Christ, I think he says, or, or he's Christ coach or whatever he says. Some yeah, yeah. Like that, you know, it's like help get his life on track. And he's got a list of things written down and he's going over them with them. And you're like, oh, this sweet kind of bumbling man. And then you see this other side of him with his wife played by um uh, Susie, Susie Kurtz. Kurtz. Yes. And and she's phenomenal in this. Um at first I was like why did they cast her because this is such a small role and then it does have a little bit more meat to it as it goes on because she ends yeah. up doing the sort of you know um uh the Nixon White House reveal, you know, she's like no, this isn't <laughs> it. Um this isn't the truth. And uh and it's it's sort of I don't know they I guess a story like this where you have such problematic characters and faulty um, antagonists and protagonists, one of the things that has to happen for it to work is uh, to keep us interested is you sort of have to like them in certain ways. And I found that even though Holly Hunter's, you know, portrayal of Wanda Holloway is chilling, as you said, especially when she hears something she doesn't like, the first reaction isn't usually to snap, it's to stare. And that was, that was chilling. Uh, and then she comes back with something. And, I'm doing um, it right now, Nate. You are. I, I'm, trying not, <laughs> I'm trying to block you behind my microphone because I can't handle the, the scrutiny. Um, but yeah, she does it. And uh, it's, it's just, I, but I also found her very charismatic. Like, I'm like, oh, this is the kind of woman that if I saw her every other day at, at Target or whatever, yeah, she would, I'd be like, that's a funny lady. You know what I mean? Like this. this oh, she, yeah. She, she murdered the person, but we want her on our committee next year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, like, like I want, I want her behind me for cheerleader because the length she'll go to. Yeah. Um, because there's something compelling about that sort of, um, that, that vortex of power. Like, it's just like, uh, oh, okay. You seem to know what you're doing. It, uh, you know, I'm blind into all your machinations, but oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and it's their economy uh, of, she's right. If she gets this, then she'll get that. Right. Then she has a chance at this. Yes. So why, you know, yes, without well, minus she's, the she's murder. She's kind of right, isn't she? Like, yeah, it, yeah it, minus the murder. Why is it any different than, sorry, that was my phone. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, why is it any different than if you take um, crew, uh, you can get to this school, which will get you into Harvard. Why is it any different? 
right? Right. And especially, right. like you said, in mm -hmm. Texas, I know in Mississippi, it is a huge thing. There's been, I mean, there's been more scandals than than you could do TV movies about. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and with the, the football team, things like that, you know, it's just such a, it's, it's a similar type of thing, right? Who's where, where are you going to go after? Um, you know? Wow, and, right. And, and it's nuts. And it's, I didn't grow up in that because I went to not very good schools. So it was like, I guess in a way I was blessed because we all came out the same. Um, right. and, and, you know, but I didn't have that opportunity. Story. It's yeah, the right. story as the, the full house lady, uh, Aunt Becky Lord trying Lawford, to get yeah. her daughters into uh, USC. It's the same scheming. And exactly. I mean, and, and I'm kind of, and that, and that blew my mind because I'm like, at least back in 1993, we thought that a good degree might get you somewhere. And at that point, I was like, you paid how much money to have her get a degree in this economy? Why don't you just give her the money? For God's sakes. I think she asked for the money the kid yeah. did. Like, just oh let me gosh. be the blogger. I'm like, well, oh, and also, that's the IQ test. Like, like, the Holly Hunter, that family was kind of using its limited means, like she was trying to to work with the situation they were in, you know, the um, Lori, whatever her name is, you're already super privileged. I know. Come on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it just, and it, it all comes back to full house. We mentioned it last, <laughs> last half of the show. All uh, things do. Back. All things <laughs> all come things back, come to, back full to full house. house. Uh, I also think it's interesting that we also kind of, at the beginning, once uh, she's told Bowbridge's character, Terry, that she wants him to find a hitman, um, mm -hmm. everyone, his friends and his, his brother, his, her ex-wife, or her ex-husband rather, is saying like, you gotta go to the cops because now you've told me it's gonna be a problem. If something happens, you're in trouble. And which is very, very valid. Um, we have this insane comedy of errors where he tries to go to the police and they're like, hey, it's New Year's Eve. We're not doing this stuff right now. I was like, you mean attempted murder? We're not doing that? He's like, yeah. Like that whole insane. We also have uh, right. Andy Richter in his very first role, yeah. I think, um, yeah. as as one of the 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 police officers or sheriff's deputies. But then he finally gets to where they're like, "Yeah, okay, well, let's talk about it." Okay, get her on the phone. Oh, well, she does sound like this could be legitimate. We got to get you wired and get you to a meeting to to record her. All of that I understood his character, but then the more it goes on, there there does that that greed I mentioned comes up, right? It becomes a little unseemly. Like, is she asking him? Absolutely. Is that wrong? Pretty sure that no matter what uh, religious spectrum you fall on, that's probably not probably not going to get you anywhere nice. And uh, but it starts to feel like they are pushing her, right? Like you do get a little bit of um, of her being led willingly, but being led down this. If he had said, this isn't gonna happen, we're done, I'm leaving now. It feels like it might've just ended there. We don't know. Oh, I see what you're saying. If he had taken leadership in exactly. a sense. Like at a certain point- he was willing wants, to be dissuaded. Yeah, at a certain point, he wants to keep this going because he's thinking ahead of the curve, right? His brother's gonna right. get the kids. Like we kind of agree with her eventual lawyer's arguments, mm -hmm. um, some of them. And, uh, and, and I think it's just, it's a really interesting thing because you're, she's definitely in the wrong. Who in their, nobody in their right mind, I would argue, would even think about killing a rival cheerleader's, you know, mother and the cheerleader for this kind of thing. But, you know, she gets in a situation where it just, she's allowed to continue on this path where if something had reined her in, you know, which 
is an interesting thing because, and you also then can bring in the whole uh, gender identity argument with this, right? Well, if she was a guy, what would this, like, maybe he wouldn't have gone to kill someone, but he would have done something else to get them that next step up. And would he have gotten in trouble if he, wow. you know, yeah. threatened or had a fist fight versus had to hire someone to kill? It's like, you get in this whole thing where you're like, hmm, how much does her situation, their, their, their income, where they live, the family, drive her eventual behavior versus how much is it just, you know, her Lady Macbeth you know, uh, yeah. kind of, kind of syndrome for needing that kind of power. I, I don't know. I think she's Lady Macbeth. I think, I think she'd be <laughs> I think that person, that no matter who she was married to, if she were married to the, the, uh, guy mm. in the Aunt Becky case, they would have been doing the exact thing that Aunt Becky did to get her kid into as US. The one argument I would, I would pose against, and not an argument, but the, the piece of evidence that I found when I was running over my head that maybe be counter is she doesn't do this for her son. She's only doing this for her daughter. So what about the fact that it's her daughter and we can assume yeah. transference to her is, is causing this because she is not helpful or nice to the son at all. She tells him to shut up constantly. And he's mm -hmm. basically, I saying at first, you're like, well, he wants a truck. I mean, every kid wants something. I wanted things. I usually got them because I was spoiled, but um, you know, he just wants a truck. And then you find out, he's like, I, I want a truck so I can go to college. I need to know how I'm going to get to school right. every day. And you're like, oh, that's a valid conversation to have. And she's like, get out. I want to hear this right now. Right. Okay. Yeah, so I have a yeah. question on that. Oh, I'm sorry, Mary Jo. Were you going to say something? No, no, no. I'm just listening. Um, so some of it is from transcripts or whatever, but like, we don't know about that mm -hmm. stuff. That stuff's sure. just made up. And the same with the, uh, the cops. So really everyone's a bumbling dumb shit because mm -hmm. they're from Texas. Part of that, I was like, somebody's on the ball. They catch criminals in Texas all the time. You know, they could just be that there's so many of them and they're not very smart. I'm just kidding, Texas. We have fantastic listeners in Texas. Bridget's you know what I mean? opinion does not reflect my opinion on Texans. Right. But I, I think about that a lot. Like why why there yeah. why always be why do they always have to be depicted that way? Some people are on the ball. There's as I said, everywhere. Well, I think it's that whole thing of, and I, I'm at a loss to cite other instances, but that whole southern um modern gothic or old gothic uh, of these these wild stories that they they capitalize on and mm -hmm. and so they fit in these people i don't even know what i'm saying but but i was wondering that too like what is it about that that southern sensibility and uh, capitalizing on the whole over the top flannery o'connor idea right, of these right. wild characters and you're right we don't know the, the script doesn't really give us a backstory for Wanda Holloway. I right. think mm -hmm. I think Holly Hunter is great, but there's no really script information about mm -hmm. what drives her to do this. Right, right. right. Another That's film right. might have given her a backstory with her father. You know, he was abusive and he or he had affairs all the time. And so she's insecure. And so the, we don't know. And that definitely or, could have been done. Or yeah, or my chances were thwarted. So, I mean, she's a stage mother and, and you're right. I don't know why it's, you know, on right. the daughter, but there's that whole realm of like mothers and daughters and stage mothers, but yeah. It's like, it's believable. And I'd watch a whole mini series on it. Oh you yeah. Know, like yeah. I would eat it up. Um, yeah, the sin and the sin and, and all our, in all of our hearts, all of us, there's not a person on earth that, that isn't 
have an inclination to get what they want in any way they can. And that is right. Right. There's, there's yeah. no getting away from that. I'm going to live vicariously in a way that I'm not going to go to jail. Right. I'm going to watch. Right. This. And yeah. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, How do people do it? I'm going to watch. Right. Well, oh, and there's that, the, the one scene that honestly was creepy. Uh, and, and I mean, I watched some insanely bizarre films and things that have made me feel very uncomfortable in real life and otherwise. But this, this, the scene where um, her, it's, it's Holly Hunter laying on a couch in, in the evening in the living room, her daughter's at the far end, and then in front of the TV sitting is her friend, or her son and her son's friend, who's played by a very young Giovanni Ribisi. Giovanni yeah. Ribisi. Um, and I, I'm extra careful because Mary Jo's here. She's going to get me. Um, and, uh, and she's like, and he's like, you know what? I want to kill him. They have this ugly conversation that I'm sure has happened where he's like, he's like, so-and-so. And like, she's a slut. And she's like, no, she's not a slut. She's a tight ass. That's why essentially I want to take her brakes and have her crash her car and die. And you're like, that's an ugly conversation. I'm sure it's happened. It's ugly though. And then that's when Holly Hunter's character tunes in and says, you know who I'd want to kill? And she names the other mother. And she goes, how would you do it? And she asks the friend who is instantly concerned and, and like, right, put right. And like yeah, alarmed. And her son is like, oh, I'd like put an explosion in a baton. And she's like, that's not realistic. What would you do? And you're just like, oh, this is a weird, like it just took that 180. And that's of course, when they, they insinuate that she got the idea uh, to have you know, uh, her, her rivals killed. But right. that scene really was chilling because that's such an inhuman, calculating, robotic um, you know, turn of, of, of fate, right? Or, or, or machination in her head like it's like yeah. this is a problem this can get rid of the problem and yeah. you're employing a teenager Child, young yeah. teenagers who are oh, really who better to employ than a young teenager <laughs> well who, who are having sort of this cartoony fantasy about mm -hmm. yeah and then i put you know dynamite in their shoes and blah, and it does make that huge that yeah. that chilling turn it was it was like yeah it, it's just it was it was a complete blasphemy of what parenthood should be in the perfect <laughs> sense, right? Like right. like like um she's they're kind of playful. Eh, my mom doesn't care if you swear. Oh really? Uh, and then it's like uh, we're plotting a murder here. I think swearing goes on the back burner. Like we're just gonna jump the next thirty hurdles to get to that. Um, point. mom, Mrs. Johnson said some really weird things when I was over watching TV. <laughs> were you talking about killing a classmate? Maybe <laughs> you know like. <laughs> and it's just a, that that was a chilling scene. Um, we're, I would have killed the, I would have killed that woman for driving the Mercury Grand Marquis. Unexcusable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let, let's talk about the actual. So at the end of the movie, it ends. Um, I mean, this movie came out in '93. This all happened in the '90s. So like, there's or, or I think it was the '90s, late '80s, somewhere in there. So this is relatively recent. Um, a year before, uh, I think it was ABC. Uh, but don't quote me on that, put out another film um, about the same thing. There's been several. Oh, right, with like, was it Lindsay Wagner or something? Or <laughs> it's, it's called, it's, it's like a much more, um, I mean, I think you could argue this film is exploitative, especially when you're talking about the Southern culture. But yeah, it's a much more exploitative one. It's, uh, it's uh, Leslie Ann Warren, isn't oh, okay. it? There's, there's a lot, there's close. a lot of them. I think this is probably the next biggest one though. Uh, and it was another TV movie came out the year before. It's called Willing to Kill, the Texas Cheerleader. Oh story. boy, yeah. Um, and I love the poster they that. for it. It has, yeah, oh yeah, I'm gonna probably watch it after <laughs> this. Um, it's, it's got like handcuffs and like kill is like in ragged letters. Uh, and you know, it's just such a, 
it like I think I think you mentioned Reggie, it touches something primal in us that we want to watch this kind of um, exploitation of people's internal work because it reveals the things that are in us that we don't uh, let show in light very often. Hopefully, unless Seymour. we are some sort of mad no, no. serial killer. Go away! Go away! Sorry, Doggy. my dog is. <laughs> it's okay. My, my cat pounds at the door, but luckily you can't hear her on her little padded paws. Um, Mike has been relatively quiet, so I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's not patting on the door with his hands. Um, I think that after this movie wraps, there's this um, a couple of blocks of text. Like uh, we know that the first case, uh, she was sentenced to 15 years, but then it was thrown out because one of the jury members actually was a felon, um, which is a crazy thing. And then we get an appeal. And um, that's where the movie ends. And they also give us this weird other information, like there was a tornado in like 1995 or whatever in this community and uh, Holloway's house wasn't touched at all, but Vern's house lost the trampoline. And I'm like, and it oh, yeah, just gives this sort of color because that is the kind of thing that would be in this movie and it would be accurate to paint what they want us to see these characters. They also mention that uh, later on, Wanda's Wanda's Wanda the actual person also veered near her rival's house and hit a Halloween trick-or-treater and threw her onto the lawn oh yeah and she yeah. was dressed as the prom queen and I was trying to figure out I'm like is this just color or is this like some sort of implication she's like um prom queen my ass like no one's gonna be prom queen but my daughter like I didn't get it I wasn't sure well it felt very very Coen brothers where yeah. they they throw in things um either on you know on the screen and you're not sure if they're I'm sure these facts were true and just thrown in there to um to underscore the bizarreness of it but it mm -hmm. felt it sort of had that feel to it right I mean, and then, you know, there was the whole thing of everyone getting paid and getting their, you know, the whole yeah. media thing. Selling I, their rights. Yeah, the, right. And all that, but still, um, uh, just having people put uh, your in, in inclinations into uh, on screen and words in your mouth and thoughts in your head. Oh, it's, well, it's not that. Yeah, it's a funny movie, but part of me is like, oh, it's already sure. bad enough. And, and no, yeah, and no one comes out looking that great. Right, like maybe, maybe the maybe um, her victim's daughter looks kind of sweet. Like she's like, I feel bad for like them for this situation, and then that's kind of it, right? Like that's the only we really see of her. She's like, oh, it's the simple sweet girl. I'm not even sure it's really want something you'd like, um, but because in the end, we get like all of this, all of these bits. Like everyone who is even Wanda sometimes watches the TV coverage and when they're not making fun of her, she seems kind of pleased sometimes. And her daughter is portrayed as like happily scrapbooking like her mom's mugshot in the paper and like being at school talking about all this stuff and being like, I'm the popular one now because my mom tried to kill people. <laughs> it's just, it's, and then the mother who she-, who she For my wanted, kids. Yeah, it's just, it's you're like, oh, this is, this is ugly. And that's kind of what we're left with. Like you said, it's funny and we're like, ha ha ha, but we're also like, like that's just, it's also mm -hmm. kind of gruesome. Yeah, like I think she says, I won't you do, you do anything for your kids. Like, mm -hmm. uh, and I guess that I was the tagline of this yeah. particular uh, movie. And one more thing I just want to throw out there. So the director is uh, Michael, Michael Ritchie. Uh, he did The Golden Child uh, with Eddie Murphy and uh, yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he directed Fletch. Um, yeah. 
I know, I know. I was kind of surprised, to be honest, because, and he directed a, a horror movie in 1980 called The Island. Um, well, which while I enjoyed in some level, I'm not going to say it's a good movie, whereas I would qualify this kind of wholeheartedly as a good film. Like it made me yeah, think. He also did one called Smile about beauty pageants. He did. And that was before this one. Which, so I think yep. that's where this came from is they were like, oh, you did Smile. Yeah, Do it feels movie. like that. Um, and whereas the rest of what he did later, I'm sure there's some great stuff in there, but I mean, he had Cops and Robertsons. Like it's just, it seems like sort of entry level comedy stuff that he did after which is a shame um not that i wanted to grade his entire career but one thing he also did he wrote all yeah, the I lyrics gotten to... <laughs> i haven't Watch gotten to do any <laughs> well, entry level comedy he, i me neither i mean i i have i have a reel of uh, of my own tapes but no one wants to watch them um he also wrote the lyrics to all of the music in this movie um this movie has like very loretta lynn um, country and he wrote all that and I think that that it, it's used very effectively throughout the film and this might be the only case I've seen where a director has done that. Hmm. Um, uh, Michael Myers wrote those poem songs in the last movie I beg to differ. <laughs> Sir. Oh man, whoa man I just want to know how he would actually write whoa whoa man like how is that phonetically spelled on the page like when his collection comes out? Well <laughs> We're reaching the end of this of this segment and this episode, uh, and I want to ask you guys once again, who would you recommend this to and why? Mary Jo Peel, let's start with you. I think I might recommend it to um, aspiring filmmakers because of the narrative structure. I'm, I'm not in, uh, you know, you can find your flaws in it, um, but I I thought it was really interesting how they did it. That's a, that's a great, and I think you guys are very into education. I'm super stoked about this. Um, I think that my take would be similar, except I would say even more so to aspiring actors, because I think the characterizations that Holly Hunter and Bo Bridges and even some of the secondary characters give is very strong. And I imagine that many of those are choices they made rather than written stuff written in the script, especially with Holly Hunter, with so many of her, her pacing and her facial expressions and the way she looks at people. Um, it just screams manipulation. Like we've all, she looks at the, towards the camera. I've seen people look at me that way and I start to recognize things that I'm, oh, that's, that's uncomfortable to me because I realize now that maybe I haven't been, you know, treated truthfully or whatever the case might be. Sure. Bridget, we're up to you. Who would you recommend this movie to and why? I guess just anyone that likes Holly Hunter. Totally. <laughs> you watch those Saving Grace reruns one more time. You just can't do it. So here come the positively true adventures of the alleged Texas cheerleader killing mom. Oh, cheerleader murdering mom. Damn it. I, I like good it movie. in the last 20 sure, years. We all do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to once again, thank you guys so much. Mary Jo Peel, Bridget Nelson, thank you guys so much for being on Cult and Classic Podcast. Is there Thanks, anything, Nate. Is there anything you guys want to plug uh, to our listenership? Because they're, like me, they're fans. Otherwise, I unfollow them. I am in the next Mike Myers movie, and I would like everyone to watch it. No, um, we have, um, right now, our, like you brought it up before, right, MJ? Um, whatever happened to Baby Jane? Baby Jane, yes. One classic. It's on uh, Rift Tracks right now. You can buy it right now. It, was it is so super worth it, super worth yeah. it. It's essentially uh, Walking Phoenix's Joker prequel. Um, I think that you're going to love uh, Vanessa Redgrave 
having the only British accent in the family. It's super great. Um, no, it really is really funny. And it's also kind of an interesting movie to watch. So I would, I would definitely check it is. It out. It's fun for Lynn Redgrave. Like, I think she acquits yeah. herself nicely. And don't miss Bridget in her salute to Holly Hunter. Touring nationally. Holly Hunter, Holly Hunter, Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter. Holly, Holly, Holly. Holly, Holly, Holly. Thank you guys so much. And to play us out, as always, we have the chud with All About Evil. I want to let you guys know, as always, that clips are used for review purposes only and are the copyright property of those who own them. Thank you so much. Join Thanks, us. Thanks, Nate. Ah, of course, I am Nate Wyckoff. As uh, I leave you every week, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cultandclassicpodcast.com. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.